2: Hello and welcome to All Starts That We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Martin Riley. the big chance being missed four minutes into the game of the podcast. Oh, it's going to be one of those days, is it? And I'm joined by the first half red card of the podcast, Dan Holdsworth. How very EFL of you, Jonathan Hogg. And finally, I'm joined by the Archie Gray being subbed off on the podcast. Let's hope that our generational talent doesn't need subbing off. It's Will Clay. Will, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. Um, As much as you can do good on a weekend where your football team has frustrated you. Um, That's fair. I kept myself busy otherwise, and then on to doing this, and then I can pretend the game never happened, hopefully. That's the best way to handle it. And have you eaten well today? I did. I've just had um, like a chicken and chorizo with various vegetables and some rice. It was very tasty. Good stuff, good stuff.
2: I, myself, have had a roast pork dinner, which was... Ooh. Yeah, it was very good. With all, all the trimmings, had some broccoli on there and some sweet corn, Yorkshire puddings, yeah, a bit of applesauce on the pork as well. It was very good. And how about you, Dan? How are you doing?
3: I'm going to jump in on the food um, question first, because I've just had... um. I've had a Greek kebab. Is it a, is it a gyros or a gyro? I don't know how you say it, but anyone, one of those. It was homemade, made me flatbreads, made me It was really, really good, if I do say so. Um, and I had I had a roast lamb yesterday at my mum and dad's house, so I'm proper well-fed the last two days, which makes up for the like crappy Leeds performance. So otherwise, I'm great, mate. Cheers.
2: Well, it's good that you're well-fed at least.
3: Is it a gyro or is it a gyros? What is it? Does anybody know?
0: I would say gyros. Oh, I've got... Yeah, no. Definitive answer, unfortunately, so I can't help.
2: I could look it up,
3: but you know, it's not that important, really.
2: Anyway. Uh, so welcome to All Sacks Like We, where we um, debate the pronunciation of the Greek food. No, we we're not a- here to a- talk kebabs. about... Or kebabs, yes. We're not here to talk about <laughs> that. We're here to talk about our our draw. I've almost said loss against Huddersfield Town. Um, so yeah, that's why we are here today. So I'll track straight into the game summary. Leeds started the game their usual 4-2-3-1, with Huddersfield changing their usual shape and started the game in a 4-4-2. Leeds dominated possession throughout the first half and having the better of the chances from open play, with Huddersfield largely threatening in transition, winning lots of set pieces. Leeds, however, weren't able to make their professional dominance pay off, and Huddersfield were the team to f- draw first blood, with Mikhail Hellick scoring from close range after Melier Say to Danny Ward header. The first half was closed off, with Johnston Hogg being sent off for a second yellow card in the fourth of nine minutes of injury time. Into the second half, Leeds continued their dominance, with Huddersfield having even less of the possession. Leeds had an, a whopping 81% of the possession in the second half. Leeds did make their possession pay off, however, in the 6th-7th minutes, with Bamford tapping in a Conor Roberts cross from close range, making the goal 1-1. Leeds continued to apply pressure for the rest of the game, but weren't able to find the winning goal, and the game ended 1-1. A lot shorter than the previous game summary of the Leicester game. <laughs> But yes, let will get into the interrogation. So let's get straight into this. We've ended the game with 78 possession overall, which is the highest possession we've achieved while Opta has been collecting records so why weren't we able to turn this possession into a winning performance? I'll come to Dan first.
3: You often see this, don't you, in, in in games where there's one team that has a ridiculous amount of possession versus a team that doesn't that that it ends up being a stalemate. So I think there's something counterproductive. There's probably like a tipping point, isn't there, when you have when you can have too much possession. And I wonder if there's a bit of that here. You know, like if 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 we had sixty percent of the ball. That would probably indicate that Huddersfield, you know, did step out and did have some attacks and left some space. But when you've got seventy-eight percent of the ball, it's just attack v defense, generally against a compact, packed-in defense. You know, playing very deep and just closing the space off, and that's just, that's just horrible to play against, isn't it? So, I, it's it's kind of one of those old cliches, isn't it? Like you know, playing against ten men is tough. Playing against a very deep, compact team is very tough, isn't it? Um, particularly for this Leeds team, I don't think it's particularly our forte or this team's forte breaking down those very low, uh, compact. Packed blocks, so it's just a, a function of that, really. I think,
2: yeah, I would agree with that. It can make things very difficult for you, especially mm. when you don't when you don't have, have that player who can pick the right pass. Um, obviously, we know that Ruteir is our most creative player, but he's not sort like a, a Pablo who can pick no. a, a low block with a line splitting pass like, like that, like Blow could many times and did many times over. How about you, Will? What did you make of this?
0: Yeah, I think Dan's right about too much possession doesn't suit this Leeds team. Um, if Huddersfield had done a bit more there would have been more transitions and I don't doubt we would have scored there um, I do think in general even with the possession we had there was times where it's just not quite Yap Yapstam, uh, Reading but it seemed like we were going through the motions a bit with our oh, pass it to Gruev, he'll pass it to a centre-back, he'll get it back rather than having any real um, zip or intent straight from the off and I know we've spoke before about That's probably a deliberate instruction that leads want to get the ball back, settle in possession and then attack. But uh, yeah, Saturday left me frustrated that maybe there's one or two bits where you could have thought, let's get at them now and it might not be as secure possession, but you've got a better chance of forcing something, was uh, my view of it.
2: It's interesting because I'll take a look at the first and second half XG stats. Um, Obviously, we're generally a team who does better in transition, as we all know. Um, however, in, in the first half, where there probably was a little more transitional play going on and with more space to play in, uh, we only had 0.46 XG in the first half. And quite a big chunk of that came from the missed big chance from Somerville four minutes into the game, which we alluded to in the, in in the intro. And then in the second half, we actually had 1.46 XG. So three times as much XG. And that was during the time period where Huddersfield were sitting back very, very heavily. And that was after their red card. So that, that's, up shop completely. So we were able to create XG during the second half where it was at its most difficult for us. So maybe it's just one of those games where we say me a culpa, and <laughs> it's just the sort of thing that happens in football. Would you think that would be fair?
3: I think there's some of that, but it's worth pointing out that there's only one, you know, as per XG, one big chance in that second half and that was the goal, uh, the mm-hmm. Bamford chance. I mean, there's a couple at kind of point two, so biggest chances or approaching big chances. There's the uh, Bamford one on 85 minutes, uh, and there's a Griff shot on 92 minutes that comes out at 0.24. I really can't remember it, to be honest. <laughs> now I think about it. Uh, but the Somerville chance that kind of sailed past the post um, on 86 minutes was really 0.14. I and mean, that felt like a big chance, really. You know, it felt like Somerville should have got his foot around that a bit more and probably put that away for yeah. the win. So, yeah, it's, I think it's more volume, wasn't it, Martin, than real big open chances, with the exception of the one big one, which was the goal. That's totally fair.
2: Uh, So, moving on to the next one, we had a question from Phil LUFC on Twitter. Uh, The question was the obvious one would be the differences in town setup after A, Hogg injured his own player and B, got sent off. I feel both were actually positive for them and we had a lot less room to play in when they went to free centre backs and then when they'd stopped having any real attacking ambition. So, what changed after their red cards and was this the reason for them stopping attacking or was this more down to game state?
0: I'll come to you first, Will. I'd lean towards game state, I think. But then it is difficult to tell because um, you know, we didn't get enough play between you know, they scored and then straight away got a man sent off. There wasn't really a, a sample to look at of possession where we were trying to break them down and they hadn't gone to ten men. But I, I sort of would lean towards thinking, you know, they, they stepped up a, a decent amount and then scored, and then the plan would always have been to sit off a bit more, um, take less risks and solidify. Uh, so, I'd, I'd yeah, game state would be what I'd lean towards, but, you know, we can't prove that.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things where some people just buy game state and say it's a very, very important thing. And I do agree that it is quite important and probably is one of the overriding factors in this. And it's also some of the stats about. For the field's approach, like out of possession, that in the first half uh, they committed eight fouls and obviously got someone sent off. (laughs) And then in the second half, they only had two fouls. And so that maybe indicates a bit that they weren't stepping onto us as much and not being as aggressive. So, where do you come on this one, Dan?
3: Yeah, it's funny. I've got a note here about exactly that, really. I think Huddersfield were quite kind of man-to-man. I mean, not, not pure kind of Bielsa man-to-man, following people everywhere, but they were quite kind of aggressive and going at us, weren't they, first half? Or certainly in moments, you'd see a fullback back tracking a winger quite central, things like that. Um, and I think there was probably some... Obviously, that was a plan of theirs, to really get into our faces and get physical and break the game up first half. And I think the, the red card just changed that completely and it became kind of very much the zone low block, didn't it? You know, it kind of, it kind of switched. So it was almost the, the second half, they became very passive and they were kind of, they were almost like diving for fouls, weren't they? And breaking play up that way in a different way. They were kind of, you know, waiting for the contact of a Leeds player and then follow flopping over. So it was just, it was almost like two different teams uh, in their kind of in their kind of defensive or game management approach, I, I, I think. Um, I mean, neither suited Leeds, really. <laughs> it didn't work for Leeds either, really, so it's kind of i think um in, in a funny way had the game carried on like the first half i would have fancied Leeds to get on top eventually with our you know like uh, kind of firepower we have off the bench you, you could have seen them tiring and us, you know maybe having a bit of joy in the last last sort of 15-20 minutes or so of the game but because the game state changed and then the game model changed we were then just playing attack v defense and i just think it the whole thing was about, uh, the whole game was very much sort of, sort of broken up for Leeds, wasn't it? We're attacking, we're playing two sort of different, different defensive setups. Um, the, the whole game plan was, the whole game was around being broken up and, and, and Leeds, Leeds having no kind of real rhythm to play with. And I just think, you know, it was just, it, it was kind of frustrating for both of those reasons. It was frustrating for two different reasons, but with a similar outcome, I felt.
2: That's all very fair. And this, I, even I, I tweeted uh, during half time and um, just, uh, the field were trying to out EFL Preston, and it wouldn't have surprised me at that point if they had gone on to have more fouls in that Preston game, which, just in case you're wondering, was 22 fouls they finished that, that lad's game with. So, it's just to have such a contrast in the way they approach that obsession in the second half, to only have two fouls to the 10 to eight in the first half, it's a pretty drastic change. So, yeah, it definitely was, it was more effective for them, and I agree with what question said that it wasn't a positive change them to drop that, that bit deeper and to be less space for us to play into. But yeah, it's interesting questions though. And next we had a question from Ollie aren't we on Twitter. They asked is there any clear tactical tweaks in games like yesterday when Daniel Farker throws on lots of attackers late on to try and grab a goal? And also is having that many similar attackers on at once always a best approach, or does it just congest any possible space even further? And I'll come to Dan first.
3: So, when he made that change, didn't he, um, Fark, yesterday around, was it 60 minutes perhaps, when Roberts and Dan James and Perot came on? Um, And I don't think there was, there wasn't a tactical change there, was it? It was just a profile change. Uh, You know, it was like player for player, wasn't it? And just, just, just changing the profile. So, Nonto came off and Dan James came on and instantly Dan James is hugging the touchline and playing wide sort of high and wide and stretching the game and, and and he got supported by Roberts down that flank instead of Archie Gray who would maybe come in and combine a bit more um, but I don't, there, was, there wasn't there was like a change in the way we build up there wasn't a change in the way that the sort of runs our forwards were making it didn't feel like a tactical change it just felt like a, a profile and how that profile um how that profile adapts, you know, how that profile interprets the system is different, but it's not really tactical, is it? So I just, I, I don't think Fark ever makes tactical changes, really. I think Fark is about managing different profiles for different outcomes. That's that's what he does. That's what his thing is. Um, And to be fair I thought our best spell probably came when that impetus came from particularly Roberts and Dan James on the right side. We had a real nice spell, didn't we, for sort of 60 or 70 minutes, got the goal. I'd, had another couple of fairly good moments where we could have just, you know, maybe got a goal or set something up. But yeah, it's 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 just profile, not tactical. I would say.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, it's not something that Fark has ever done with us so far. Is make big, sweeping tactical changes in the middle of a game. It's it's just usually either like for like players, or they come on and then the profile, like he says, switches slightly. Uh, how about you, Will? How do you come on this?
0: Um, the second bit of the question about does having similar attackers make us worse? I think yes. Definitely. Um, It's something I used to slate Steve Bruce's Newcastle for. They'd they'd be losing and he'd bring on Andy Carroll and Dwight Gale and, 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 and they'd have five strikers on the pitch and do nothing because they still weren't creating. And Farker isn't as bad as that. But I do think Pirro and Bamford sometimes, it's not that they're kind of doing the same thing or it was really obvious just for the last few minutes. Anthony and Somerville were both looking to be on the left, sort of on the edge of the penalty area and cutting in and shooting. But then you've got two players doing one job and you lose having the threat um, that Firpo was. You know He's not as talented as some of Villa Anthony, but having somebody to overlap on the left just to give the defenders something to think about and to keep the pitch big in the way that we saw success from Roberts and James's side, um, that was frustrating. That it's bring on... You know, another winger or another striker who wants to do what a player is already doing when against a low block, you should be making the pitch as big as possible. And that doesn't guarantee you'll win because low blocks are horrible. But I don't think the subs gave us the best chance necessarily of scoring the second goal.
2: I would agree with all that. And especially the, the thing about Jade Dantony is usually he does offer us something different when he's on that left side. Like Most of the time when he comes on, he's trying to put a lot of crosses into the box. And he's pretty good at them. He's he's good at get, get, getting balls into box, into dangerous areas. But in this game, he only attempted one cross. Just one. <laughs> and on the other side, Dan James att- attempted 10. <laughs> which is just a yeah. pretty mad differential, really. Um, so I wonder if Daniel Farker had said that he doesn't want him attempting as many crosses as he normally does, and to leave that to James on the other side, which would be a strange introduction. It could just be that maybe he didn't fit, find time to make those crosses, but you want to say something there, Dan.
3: Yeah, I just think it was a, a function of him being kind of paired with Somerville out there, and Somerville's just kind of more dominant player, isn't he? He's the you know is the big mm. man on campus, whatever, you know, at the moment, isn't he? So he's going to just sure. dominate the ball, and Anthony's just going to be playing second fiddle to him. It would have been interesting, and the sub I would have preferred would be Anthony for Somerville and kept Furpo on, and just changing the change the dynamic and profile that way, and you, you still maintain that kind of outside left. Um, attacking threat from who we well, thought it was okay. Really, I thought he got around the outside and you know attempted some some dangerous balls occasionally. We should have carried on with that and and perhaps swap Somerville for Anthony if that's what you're thinking you're going to do. I get not taking Somerville off because he's you know he's, he's brilliant, but you, you know you've got to have some kind of discipline with these things, haven't you? And not you know not just think oh chuck all my all my you know, the Steve Bruce approaches. Uh, just, we've just heard about just chucking all, all my attackers on there. Cause sometimes they get in each other's way, don't they? And diminish, you know, diminish the, each other and get in each other's way. So yeah, it didn't work. I didn't like it at all. It's a shame because I, I think Canton is a good player. We saw against Chelsea midweek. He can be a good player, can be effective. It's kind of a shame to kind of bring him on in, in that kind of situation where he's kind of uh, not really able to do what he's good at.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. He he's definitely a good player and he didn't, didn't show what we know that he is capable of in, in this game and he just really didn't get involved uh, and much I think what he said about Somerville taking over that flank is quite true. I mean, he only attempted eight passes and eight passes in the short time that he was on, whereas Van James on the other side had twenty eight. So <laughs> there was quite, again, quite, quite a big differential there about the, the way that there was both being used on both sides of the flanks. Um, but while well, we've been talking on this left side of the pitch, uh, we had some questions about our overuse of the left side of the pitch late in the game after James and Roberts were subbed on. So why do you think that we didn't make more use of the right side? And especially, I think it was after we scored. I don't, I don't think we, we barely used the side at all especially considering the goal came from a lovely combination between James and Roberts. Uh, I'll come to Will first on this one.
0: Um, The truth is I don't know Uh, because I don't think it was correct to ignore the right in the way that we did. And the only thing I could sort of think of was in the promotion team, a few of the players had said when they needed a goal, they always looked to Pablo. And, you know, as, Dan's just said Somerville is kind of the guy at the moment. So I didn't wonder if there was a bit of that. But he isn't, as was said earlier, we don't have a Pablo. Somerville isn't somebody that I think you'd want. He's very good, but I wouldn't want to give him high volume um, ball in the way that Pablo got. And if you are going to do that in this team, you give it to Ruta. So I, I can't see why, or I can see why they did it because I think Somerville scored. Hopefully he'll do it again, maybe, that's thinking, but I don't think that should happen again and I really hope it doesn't.
3: I mean if if you want a playmaker winger in, in, in our squad, it's Nonto, isn't it? He's more of a playmaker than Somerville. Yeah. I'd rather Somerville be high be high up and getting on the end of things and you know, the last action or the or the penultimate action before the goal, not the guy sort of dropping in as a kind of almost like an eight and trying to make things happen. I mean that's Nonto's game. So if we want a playmaker, then play Nonto there, not Somerville. That's anyway, that's my that's my rant. <laughs>
2: No, that's very fair. And and Nanto is probably the one whose profile speaks more to a creator than a goal threat. And it's the the total reverse this season for Somerville because he's been the guy who's been our most threatening player going forward. And he is a player who you would want to be making runs off off the shoulder. And that could have been what... If he had been making those runs and Anthony was the one getting more of the ball, and possibly we could have seen more from that, but he wasn't really going for The ones who were making the runs was mainly um, Bamford and Perot and Router. And yeah, it is odd that we didn't make more use of the right side, because James did, what well, a most effective player, even though he only came on but when he did, he had the most shock rating actions in the side was six. So yeah, it's definitely one of those things where we could have made use more, more of that side than the other, and I can't really say why <laughs> other than like you said, just hoping that someone will come create something. But I think that's about yeah, the, everything. Sorry. Yeah, there's on.
3: just one, one small observation, like Perot came on and got involved in midfield a bit because his naturally left foot I think he was picking the ball up and turning, picking the ball up on the right hand side and turning onto his left foot and playing it out wide and I think Bamford did that a few times. So it's perhaps just as simple as we had a couple of left foot guys picking the ball up in the half space and picking it left, you know, mm. turning and maybe just, just, you know, happened enough times that it became a thing. I don't know. Maybe that's a factor, but yeah, it was weird. There was no obvious reason for it and, it. and it, you know, other
2: than that. I totally agree with that. So that's about everything for the tactical analysis. So before we move on to the more player-based analysis, we will have a quick chat about our Patreon. And and I have a bit, bit of an ad break as well. So, but I have to do this, otherwise Tom Alton will do something bad to me. But don't worry, patrons, you don't have to listen to this part. Our patrons get access to our Patreon for as little as one ninety nine per month, which gives you ad free podcasts, and if you want to pay a little bit more, you get other benefits including early access to our preview pods, analysis articles, videos and bonus podcasts. If you want to find out more about our Patreon, please visit
0: Will. Patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. Perfect.
1: That's Burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now let's get back to the analysis with a bit less tactics chat and a bit more on players. So we'll start things off with having a bit bit of a chat about Alain Melier, who has come under criticism at points throughout the season. But what did you make to his performance in this match? I
3: thought I did fine. Um, I mean, I was kind of Thinking about the goal, the Huddersfield goal, and and could he have perhaps pushed the ball out to one side for the goal? Maybe, maybe, if I'm being super critical. But although it was really hard to tell, but I think he perhaps kicked the ball out of his hand. I don't know if you agree with that, you guys. But um, I'm, broadly speaking, fairly happy with his performances lately. Some question about the first goal against Chelsea, but uh, broadly speaking, I've, I've got no complaints. Like I say, he got down to that shot, didn't he, and kept it out. Perhaps he could have just he could have shunted it to the side away from the um away from Hellick, but I think I've been super critical there, so I'm not overly concerned with Melier right now.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with that. I felt that he had a pretty strong game in this, um he had like an eighty percent save success rate and he faced one point four plus XG. I think a few of the chances were improved from the position which they were in, so he faced a fair bit of, of X G in this game and he did a good job to keep it to one goal conceded. I, I, I see your point about, about the goal, and maybe in, in a perfect world, you could have pushed it out a little bit further. But I think, yeah, like you mentioned, that it may be a little bit too critical. But yeah, that's all I'll say. How about you, Will? What do you think of this?
0: Yeah, there's games this season where I do think criticism of Melia is justified, and I don't think this is one of them. Um, for the goal, you know, sometimes you just concede, and it's not really anyone's fault. It just happens because... You know, a, a downwards header that lands at his feet is massively awkward. And I think it's then just the lottery of who gets to the rebound. And unfortunately, it wasn't us. Um, and yeah, he did well this game. He's not the reason we lost. I don't think criticism for this game is uh, valid, essentially.
2: I totally agree with that. And I'm glad you mentioned about it, the header going down low because he's, he's a tall, tall goalkeeper and it's it's quite difficult for him to get down quickly to those low headers. And I think he did, did a good job just keeping that out. We had a question from one of our Discord members, Glenn. And he said, do you have any concerns with Somerville? Um, Fitness slash impact on games. Um, in game week 10 to 27, he had 17 goal involvements, and he's had four in eight since. Would you prefer to give Ansi and Nonto minutes on the left with Somerville used later in the next one or two games? I'll come to Dan first.
1: Um...
3: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too happy with him at the moment. But it's more about the, the thing I mentioned before about him not being a playmaker. I think he's just we want him higher on the ball and and, and running at players in, in higher at the pitch in the final third rather than getting involved in build up play too much. So I think it's probably more of a tactical issue is is you know his recent performance level rather than a, a fitness one. Now, I'm not discounting fitness either because I know Park has mentioned he's had a few knocks, hasn't he? In his he had to miss training a few times and stuff. So there's probably a bit of both, but I'd like to get the tactical role right and I'd, I'd really like to see a way of getting him higher up the pitch and less involved as a midfielder, as it were. That that would be my focus. Um, um, if if it's true that he does have an injury, I wouldn't be totally, totally against giving Nonto a run on the left at some point, you know, if we can do that. If we can do that against Stoke, perhaps. If it's the sort of game where we could make a couple of changes, but that's not flag style, is it? So I don't expect it.
2: Oh, I'd agree. I definitely do think there is something in the fitness, fitness side of things because, like you said, Fark has mentioned that he has been playing with um, knock and possibly some minor injuries below the surface. So we know how damaging that can be the players and it can make them not perform at their best. So it wouldn't surprise me if that is a big factor in why he's not performing as
0: good as what he can be. Um, how about you, Will? Where do you come on this? Uh, happy to give him a rest against Stoke or somebody. If that was to fix and give him you know, a bit more recovery time because I don't have any stats to back this up. But I, him and Ruta must be by far and away our most fouled players. So just the cumulative effect of getting kicked around the pitch for thirty games now um, would build up. But then I, I do also agree with Dan that I think he hasn't been playing massively worse. We're just slightly misusing him in that he isn't. Uh, without sounding too tact um He'd want him in the final phase rather than in the sort of second phase of build-up. on the end of things, getting the assist or the goal, which is, you know, he's got so many of them he's brilliant at, let somebody else feed him the ball rather than let him try and do that for other people. Yep, that's totally valid.
3: Yeah, the other thing to think about is we've got a game Tuesday and then again Friday. So, you know, there's there's, there's a good argument for, for, for getting, getting the most out of James and... Nonto and Somerville, so there's there's a really good argument for rotating all three, isn't there, through through both games, just to kind of get the most out of them.
2: Totally agree, and just on the um, foul thing which Will mentioned there, I looked at the stats and obviously Ruter is our most fouled player, he's been fouled 84 times, and following him is Somerville with 51 times where he's been fouled, but they're not that far behind him, considering the differential in minutes is Nonto with 36 where he's been fouled so look at it, per 90, still Ruter who's our most fouled player who's played regularly and then you've got Nanto just behind him. So yeah, it's definitely those two players who have been picking up a lot of impacts throughout the, the season. So that's going to have an impact on you. And I think maybe Ruter's frame is a bit better at being able to cope with that. And I, I'm not sure if some is as much. But yeah, it's still it's not something that would be good if you hook a bit of that burden off him and give, give him a bit of a break here and there. It wouldn't affect at all, especially with so many games in like a very short period of time this week. It would be good to maybe give some more minutes to Anthony or try not to on the left, yeah, I'd agree with that. So next, we've seen Georgie come under some criticism for him taking too many touches and losing possession in recent games and att- attempting too many take-ons. I will add, not for me, I might add. Um, <laughs> but how do you feel Georgie did in this game?
0: I'll come to Will first. I thought he was fine, Um there was particularly in the first half, there was a few times that he just completely turned a midfield round in the way that he does. Um, and maybe at the end, he went missing slightly, but that was because the ball was being fed on the left, where he largely wasn't. So I don't think it's fair to criticise him for that. Um, he did lose the ball a few times, but so did everyone. And really, I, I'd rather give to the ball and go, please do something, than... Some of there are other players, so I think when you're as creative as he is and has proven throughout the season to pull something out of nothing so often, you should be given a bit of license when things are looking a bit desperate to it might go wrong, but you know, that's kind of the burden you carry being as talented as he is. Indeed. I would agree with that. How about you, Dan?
3: Yeah, so like it's one of those live watch versus um watch back things this one, like for the live watch, I was a bit like, you yeah, know, Rutter didn't play all that great, but on the watchback, I thought it was fine, completely fine, pretty, pretty tidy, like you say, taking players on, uh, setting attacks up by uh, kind of rolling midfield players, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, the only thing is like his ball striking <laughs> it wasn't very good. We had the Steve Morrison shot, didn't we, <laughs> in the in the second half? <laughs> but 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 I it's <laughs> it's got to be forever known as a Steve Morrison shot, hasn't it? When it goes out, like not for a corner and not, not not for a goal kick. Um, but otherwise, I thought he was fine, and I thought he, like, he carried the game to them quite well, and he just got crowded out a bit towards the end, didn't he, when the game got a bit chaotic and, you know, we had, we had all the attackers on, and I guess he just didn't have any space to kind of operate, really, and so, no, nah, Rutter was fine. I'm no, no concerns with his performance.
2: Yeah, it should be been no, no surprise to both of you that I agree uh, that he did have a perfectly fine game. Um, he wasn't maybe as effective in some games, in the final third especially. Uh, he didn't really create a, a lot of chances in this game, but... But yeah, he was very effective at getting us past players, and he was a lot more reserved in the way he was uh, making his take-ons. I don't have it to hand because it's isn't working at the moment, but I, I believe in the Leicester game he attempted more than 10 take-ons and was maybe successful with four or five of them, so that's around about a 50% success rate, whereas in this game he attempted six and won five of those, so much higher success rate in this when he was making his moments when to, to attempt a take-on in this one. So that was interesting, and I wonder if that will continue. If he's starting to pick and choose a bit more, so he's not always trying to beat a man and just pass it around a bit more, instead of just doing that all the time. But yeah, he had a fine game.
0: Yeah, I
3: wouldn't be shocked if he's been told actually, because I think he was quite wasteful in the Plymouth game, the Plymouth League game that we won um, yeah. the last game, and against Leicester again, he was quite quite wasteful. Even though it was very impactful at the end of the game, you know. Magnificently so. Um, so yeah, I do. I wouldn't be, wouldn't be totally shocked if he'd been told just to be careful and you know, keep it a bit tighter. And I guess it's like a risk reward thing, isn't it? If he's been more conservative, he's gonna, he's gonna have fewer big moments. But we're gonna retain the ball more, perhaps. So yeah, probably just a bit of that. I won't be shocked anyway if that's that's the case.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I also think later on in this game, I think he was mainly sticking around the final third and trying to make runs beyond. With when we brought on a bunch of attackers. I think that was mainly, he, he was probably he was told to stay on the last line and let the other players do the progression and him just stay and try to create something through making runs or receiving them passing the ball on, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's just a lot, last little thing to add on that. So next is, uh, we've some questions about Junior 3rd being subbed off for Jaden Anthony and whether it was a bad decision. And I think it was mentioned earlier on the, in this pod that you may have thought that it was a bad decision. Uh, so we'll come to Dan first on this one.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a bad call. I thought Firpo was pretty good, actually. Um, I mean, there's a stat here about he had the most passes into the penalty area and the only player to complete a cross with two complete crosses or something. So I don't know how that stacks up with the Dan James stat. But I think mean, just generally speaking, I felt he, he got the ball into dangerous areas in the penalty box. He did that thing that Firpo does do quite well. And when he kind of arrives... On the left side, just towards the edge of the penalty box, and plays it across the across the box on the ground. You know they don't always come off, but I felt like it was coming. It was coming for him, and I just yeah, I felt like he could have he should have stayed on and, and and carried on you know and played the whole game. I mean, I've got no problem with Anthony coming on, but not for Furpo. Anthony should have come on for Somerville or if anyone or or not at all. That was that was my view. So yeah, a bit harsh on Furpo bringing him off. I thought in this game.
0: Yeah, well. Yeah, um, this is slightly what I'd mentioned in the Discord with you, Martin, about my hatred for right-footed left-backs. And Firpo is sort of proof of why I like left-footed left-backs. Because, yeah, as Dan said, getting around the outside, arriving, providing width in the way that I said um, Roberts and James managed to do well earlier, um, I think that's very valuable. And we missed him in the... I know it was what, only the 86th minute he came off, but with the amount of injury time, that ended up being a decent chunk of play where we could have scored. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it was wrong to take him off, to be honest.
2: And I would agree with both of you. I, th- I thought Firpo had probably in this game for a while now. Um, I know he's been pretty good the whole time he's been in the squad in this run, um, but he was very good. He was making, trying to make, make a lot of things happen. Like we mentioned with that start, the, he had five completed paths into the penalty area and the closest to that was Van James with two Ruter on two Amara on two and Groove on two and um, Somerville didn't even complete a single pass into the penalty area in this game So that maybe speaks to the fact that he's not been as clean in his final third actions as what he maybe has been for a long time but that's a different story altogether um, I do think it was the wrong choice, and I would agree that we do need someone who is left-footed down that flank, and further was the guy who was trying to make things happen, and you just can't overlap and put in foot backs if you're right-footed going down the left. At <laughs> you could, but it probably wouldn't work very well. And he was the only one who was even attempting those kind of things as well. So, yeah, I'd try something off on that one by Farker. But we'll move on. So this was the first time for a long time where Archie Gray was subbed off, and... Theatrical reasons, in my view. What did you make to his
0: performance, Will? Underwhelming. After the highs of midweek and him giving Chelsea the run-around and almost hitting the big time with, um, or in terms of viewership anyway, That I know we watch Leeds, but nobody else really does if you're a Premier League fan necessarily. Whereas in a cup game that's on free view, uh, you get a wider audience. He was brilliant there and less good today or yesterday even. Um I think for kind of things we've credited Roberts for, he was the opposite in terms of holding width, didn't particularly. there was He was good in the move uh, for the one that I thought Camera should have shot that went across to Somerville. He was good there, but then there wasn't much more of it in the rest of the game. Um, and when on my rewatch, I was thinking about, I know I didn't like the subs Farker made, what would I have done? And I think at halftime, I would have brought Roberts on at right back and moved Archie into midfield alongside Grove and taking Kamara off then.
2: No, that's totally fair. Uh, the, uh, one thing i had noticed, the big differential when Roberts came on was the off-ball runs that he was making, especially ones which were, which were attacking the half-space. And the combinations which he had going with James were just were very, very good. And and obviously the goal came from that. It came from Robert's playing it right, right, right to James and then attacking the half-space and then James playing him through. So th- those are the sort of things that, we, we haven't really seen that too often awesome from, from Archie. He does generally hover around that sort of area, around the half space, but the actual penetrating runs into it aren't quite there. And I think that's something which he does need to work on in the final third. And that is something which Roberts does shine in from when I did my article on him. He does those sort of runs all the time. It's Especially for Burnley, he, he did them a lot because that's a lot of what Burnley were about. They, were, they attacked the half space a lot. And that's something which I think Archie could do with added to his repertoire. But long term, he's most likely going to be a midfielder anyway. And also, that wouldn't hurt his game to have some of those off ball runs into the half space because it's a big part of the game these days. Uh, how about you, Dan? What do you make of this?
3: Yeah, I mean, I was happy with Roberts and I thought he had a positive impact. But, like, I, I would have I, I thought part of that was having um, Dan James like high and wide and took you know, touchline hugging beyond him. So we often saw Roberts making those kind of in, inverted runs or runs in field and then rode on passes straight to Dan James. Cause Roberts is pulling the Huddersfield left side defender um, out of the way. Um, so we would have you know, if, if, if Gray had stayed on, we'd have probably still seen that and we probably would have seen some of those combinations that were quite similar. However, Roberts like came on and set up a goal, you know, it was a really nice ball for the goal, wasn't it? So I can't really complain about the sub and I thought he did have a positive impact, but I think it was more about the kind of combinations with having a proper wide option on the right rather than necessarily Archie having a bad game per se. Uh, I mean, I, at the time I really agreed with it. I thought Archie was having a stinker, but again, it's one of these on the watch back. We didn't do anything wrong. It was just, the combinations and the kind of um, dynamics of the team weren't right, and I think like the Dan James profile made that better rather than the Roberts profile, even though Roberts himself was good. Oh, I agree if with that. that. Makes
2: sense and yeah. there, was, there was that one particular um, last ditch tackle that he made uh, where Camera sort of made a yes. mess of a back pass. My God. Oh, my heart was in, was in my yeah. mouth then. Yeah, yeah that Archie was a, is a, very good.
3: He's a, a dual monster, isn't he? Like, he got yeah. back there and he did it without fouling the guy, and he's just because, you know, Archie's a big lad. He's he's quick, isn't he? And he's, he's like, he's very balanced isn't he? And coordinated. He's obviously, you know, he's obviously an elite athlete. He's like, he moves better than most people, doesn't he? And he moves really well, doesn't he? So he's not clumsy, not charged into people, isn't he? So yeah, it's, I mean, that's kind of what stand, makes him stand out, isn't it? Those kind of moments, I think.
2: Yeah, I think off the ball, he was very good, but like where he mentioned, the profiles didn't really match up um, throughout the game. And I think actually, maybe we'll do better with a width holding winger rather than one who is inverting as much like Nonto is. I mean, don't get me wrong, they've had some, a couple of good combinations between them and Nanto yeah. in the games. But with actually being a midfielder, naturally, I think it works better if he's the one who's inverted. So you, you want someone
3: I was going to say, as a combination, it, remember, it might be nice if Archie was the right-sided eight in a midfield three, Nanto's yeah. the winger and they combine that way and then we've got a you know a, a full-back that bombs on past them. that that'd be a nice combo, but that's not that's not a Fark system, is it, really? But still.
2: Yeah, exactly. You, you, sounded more, you sound more like a Bielsa system there. Yes. So, f- final question. Is there anyone else who you'd like to discuss for good or bad reasons? We'll come to Dan first. Uh,
3: yeah, so... I, I uh, I didn't on the watchback. I didn't didn't like Groves' performance this time. A lot there was a lot of talk on the day about Kamara having a poor game, and, and it was one of those through watchback. It wasn't so bad. I don't think. I don't know if you guys agree with that. You know, apart from the the obvious area that we just discussed, where he he got he got um, he, he almost played Huddersfield in. I thought generally speaking, I just didn't like. I thought Groove was just too too cautious. He wasn't switching play enough for me. It like his tempo seemed off. Like he was slowing the ball down at the wrong moment, and then playing it too quick at the wrong moment. Just it just felt like a game where he kind of wasn't in the rhythm of the game, and it was too cautious. And I didn't like the way he, like we built attacks. It was almost like he was on the toes of Rodon and Perdue, and not doing anything to kind of draw the position out and and and, and switch play, and move the opposition around. I just yeah, it just wasn't a uh, wasn't his best. That's that's not, that's should we just say that really. I just didn't didn't like his performance at all. Don't know what he did to make things. You know, I don't think he did anything wrong per se, but I don't think he did anything to positive, positively impact the game in terms of build-up.
2: No, I would, I'd agree with that. Uh, I don't think he did have a, that great of a game. And, I mean, if you look at some of the recent games where he's completing like 80, nearly nearly 100 passes in some of the games, and in this one it's only like 67 that he completed. I don't know that's still a fair amount of passes, but say that we had as much possession as what we did, uh, it doesn't seem like he got involved very much with that. You'd expect... His numbers to reach over a hundred in a game like this. And also like what you mentioned about him being a bit risk averse, that added up to me as well. Is mm-hmm. his he only attempted two long passes in the entire game, which is I think the least of the players besides um the Camera only attempted one long pass, but he he only attempted two. So yeah, that that that, that is something which I would like to see of more of and in this sort of game where teams are compact, you need to try to make the most of the of times where you can see a ball on and especially later on in the game when you have players like dan james who can run and get on the on the end of those sort of balls you you need to be trying to hit that space more often and yeah this wasn't a a shining example of what we know who can do but i will say he was pretty progressive in this game he was had the second most progressive passes so he was making some progression it just maybe wasn't into the right sort
0: of areas but yeah what about you will do you have anyone that you want to talk about I'd agree on Gruev being disappointing. Um, And then when I I saw this question on the running order and had that in mind whilst watching the game back, um, and there was people that were disappointing. I thought Rodon and Ampadu were sort of good in terms of they did what was asked of them. But on Gruev sort of not taking responsibility with line-breaking passes, I'd mentioned about the subs I thought I would have made. I was half wanting, wishing almost, is probably a better word, that we'd got Ampadu further forward. Um, So I was wondering if, well, you know, it's easy to say with hindsight, but against a team that was so devoid of attacking threat in the second half in the way that Huddersfield were, would it not have been fine to bring Cooper on and then you get Ampadu a bit further to take um, some responsibility on the ball, which we know he can do because as much as he's been playing centre-back, he's been excellent in midfield before that. Uh, and then a natural extension of that was to wish we had Pascal Strauch, which is <laughs> you know, n- not new for, for this podcast. But you know, I, in the second half, when we had so much of the ball, he would have been great. And then also in the first half, when they were being a bit man-to-man, we saw the centre-backs having to carry the ball a bit and Strauch is good at that. So, yeah, I wish we'd had Strauch. Kruev was... You know, him and and Kamara, I don't think either of them were particularly good. Uh, Besides that, I can't think of anyone else extra to comment on.
2: It's great. I'd I'd agree with what you were saying there. Um, I I actually felt like he had a really strong game. Uh, He put up some ridiculous numbers when it comes to pass progression. He had 21 progressive passes in this, which is just a huge number for one individual game. And he attempted 110 passes in this game, so he was just really doing a lot of work and obviously we were camped in their half quite often so it's not only natural that he was putting up these sort of numbers even from centre-back. So yeah, I would have liked to have seen him a little bit further forward and that could have been a good play to bring on Cooper and do that a little bit further forward. But I guess we'll have to wait for Strauch to come back into the side for us to get Ampatoop back into midfield. Okay, I think that's about everything for this podcast. Just a quick reminder, the website for our Patreon is patreon.com forward slash A-S-A-W Patreon. Well, that's all for tonight. We'll be back very soon to preview the upcoming game against Stoke City. For now, I'll say thank you to Dan. Cheers, Martin. And thank you to Will. Thank you, Martin. And thank you, dear listeners. Have a great week and enjoy the Stoke game. Bye.